0: Welcome to How I Lawyer, a podcast where I talk to attorneys from throughout the profession about what they do, why they do it, and how they do it well. I'm your host, Jonah Perlin, a law professor in Washington, D.C. This episode is sponsored, edited, and engineered by my friends at LawPods. LawPods is a professional podcast production company focused solely on attorney podcasting. I absolutely love working with them, and if you're considering becoming a legal podcaster or just want to learn more, check them out at lawpods.com. And now, let's get started. Hello, and welcome back. In today's episode, I'm excited to speak with Michelle Camp, who's a freelance attorney and legal consultant who assists law firms and solo practitioners with litigation projects on a contract basis. Michelle's worked as a freelance attorney since 2016, and before that, she started her career as an associate at the national law firm of Gibson, Dunn & Crutcher, LLP, where she focused on securities and mass tort litigation. Big changes in her career that I'm excited for us to talk about. She's a graduate of Portland State University, go Vikings, and a summa cum laude graduate of Pepperdine School of Law, go Waves. Welcome to the podcast, Michelle. Thanks for being here.
1: Thank you. I'm so happy to be here.
0: Awesome. Well, look, let's start just by talking about your decision to become a lawyer. Like, When and why did you decide that this might be the profession for you?
1: It's kind of funny because a lot of guests you have on this podcast talked about how Whatever kind of law they're doing now is like not what they thought they'd be doing when they were younger or they never actually wanted to be a lawyer. I was one of those kids that like argued a lot. So people told me like, oh, you should Mm -hmm. be a lawyer because I like to argue. So that was like always kind of in the back of my mind. But the thing that really got me interested in law school, I was in high school and I was a member of a religious club on campus, an extracurricular club, and the school tried to shut it down. And it was like really important to me at the time. And I knew that there were other extracurricular clubs on the campus. So I knew it wasn't legal for them to take it away. And I was like a shy, nerdy girl. But I went to the principal and was like, I really want to keep this club. It's actually illegal for you to take it away. And he was like, no, sorry. Like you can't have the club anymore. So I contacted a lawyer. Um, <laughs> Someone had told me about this, like, a lawyer that could help. And all they had to do was write a letter. And then the principal called me back in the office and was like, Michelle, oh, you didn't have to like contact a lawyer. Like, I we got the club back. And not only did we get our back, we got like more rights than we had before. So um, I was like, wow, when I was just this like, shy, poor kid, the principal didn't care what I had to say. But when a lawyer writes a letter, suddenly they care about like listening to people and following the rights. So I was like, I was really interested in that aspect of going into the law because as a person who grew up in a poor family and didn't have a lot of like power or rights, so to speak, I kind mm-hmm. of thought like, oh, this is a way that I can get some sort of power where people can't like take advantage of us. That was like kind of the impetus for the whole thing.
0: That's awesome. And I love that on the one hand, it's the classic story of like you like to argue you should be a lawyer. But on the other hand, it's such a personal story of how lawyers do have a lot of power and it's a, and I love how you pointed out that like sometimes you don't need to bring a case like it's sometimes yeah, like exactly. a letter alone can change a letter from a lawyer can change a lot and there's an incredible power there and I think sometimes as practicing lawyers we forget how much power we have yeah yeah and you know one of the other things that you mentioned to me before was that you were a first generation student and sort of like every way that term is used talk to me a little bit about what it was like choosing to go to law school without having a whole lot of examples sort of in your closer immediate family around you
1: my experience is sort of generally an example of what not to do <laughs> because since no one in my family no one went to college no one went to professional school certainly So I was like, winging it. I didn't have a mentor. Like when I went to college, um, people were like, my teachers would be like, Oh, Michelle, you're smart, you should go to college. So I was like, Oh, I have to take the SAT to go to college. Okay, so I registered and just took it. I didn't study. I didn't know that if I got better scores on an SAT, I'd get better scholarships. Hmm. I went to my hometown college because I was like, I didn't know that if you got good grades in high school and got a good grade on that, got a good Hmm. score. You could get like scholarship money. I didn't know any of that. So I just went to my local school so I could live at home and save money. And then um, my law school, same thing. I just like took the LSAT, didn't study for it. And then somehow I found out that like, if you went to a lower ranked school, you could get scholarship money. And again, as a person who grew up poor and like financially strapped, I was like, oh, I don't want the debt of law school. Hmm. So I just applied to schools where I could get a full scholarship. And I literally, I applied to three schools. And Pepperdine was one and Loyola in Los Angeles was another. And if you have visited the two campuses, you would maybe know why. I chose one over the other. One is like on a hill overlooking the ocean and it's so peaceful. And then one feels a little bit like, no offense to Loyola people because it's an amazing school, but it feels a little bit like prison. So on the outside. So um, anyway, So that's how I ended up choosing. I just got really lucky. Like I took the LSAT and got a good score without taking a class, but I didn't know. Hmm. And ultimately it all worked out because I ended up, you know, I'm doing perfectly fine now, but I would 100% not recommend (laughs) that someone just wings it and takes the test and then like sees where they end up, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's so hard, right? You don't know what you don't know, right? Like it's it's those blind spots and... Sometimes we talk about it or I talk about it and others talk about it in terms of like the hidden curriculums of the world. And it sounds like there was a lot of hidden curriculums and they, and they didn't slow down for you. And so maybe obviously it's, it's an example of what not to do, as you said, but it's also just more an example of trying to get more information. And I I think one of the benefits, like one of the benefits, I mean, we're sort of in the same general age cohort, like. Information is much more easily available now than it Mm -hmm. was when we were, certainly when we were in high school and college, and even more so than it was 10 years or 15 years before we were in high school and college. And so the information is out there, but knowing to go get it is a real challenge without having sort of those mentors and communities around you.
1: Yeah, like anyone to tell you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like anything. (laughs) So, but yeah, information is so much more available now. Like, I only found out about those scholarships because I Googled Hmm. and somehow found out like a score in this range. But I don't know how I missed the part where, like, I had no idea you could go to a top ranked school and still get a scholarship. Like, I didn't know if you got like a top score. If I would have known that, maybe I would have actually studied.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. It would have been a totally different experience. That's, That's really interesting.
1: Well, I mean, despite all of that, right, you
0: were a very successful student at Pepperdine. And you ultimately landed a job at Gibson Dunn, which is obviously like a top tier firm. And I actually have been to Pepperdine's uh, campus. It is insanely beautiful. (laughs) But like, talk to me a little bit about your law school experience and sort of how you figured out what you were going to do once you, once you finished.
1: So in general, I loved law school. Um, A funny thing was that before I started law school, I thought working in big law was like the equivalent of selling your soul. And I don't, I was trying to think about that, knowing that I was coming on to talk to you. I was like, why did I think that? Because I didn't know any mm. lawyers. Like, where did I get that idea? I don't know. Maybe Googling, I'm not sure. But I was convinced that it was like the thing I absolutely didn't want to do. And then my first semester of law school, I got really good grades. And I literally like went into my dean's office and cried about it because I was like, I'm going to be forced into big law now. I don't want to be a big law lawyer. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It was, I cried over getting good grades in law school because I didn't want to be pigeonholed. But it turned out my 1L summer, I was doing an internship with a public interest organization. And my boss was like, Michelle, you have the grades to like go into big law. You should really do it because public interest, like a lot of the organizations don't have the budget and funding to just take people right out of law school, which we all know law school does not actually prepare you for the practice of law. So um, a lot of organizations don't want to take fresh people. They want someone who has like experience already and got training somewhere else. And that also can be like such a good stepping stone for other things. So I was like, I finally opened my mind to it since it was someone doing the exact thing I wanted to do, talking about it like it wasn't the worst thing in the world. But again, then I totally winged it. Like I was like, okay, I'll apply to big law. I did not take a single mock interview. I didn't ask anybody what the interviews were like. I just waltzed into like OCI and I like fell flat on my face. It was so (laughs) embarrassing. I did so bad. I did not get a single um, callback from OCI. But luckily at the time, done why? why what was the thing
0: that you like do you remember any of those interviews and like why they didn't go well like what not to do
1: well I had no preparation for the kinds of questions they would ask so I thought that like being myself and being honest was the way it was fine mm. people are like oh they just care about your personality whatever and I'm like I've got a decent personality I'll be fine but there are certain questions that you need to like I mean you're not supposed to like lie and pretend you're someone else but like You have to think about, you know, when they're like, oh, where do you want to be in five years? You don't want to give your full, (laughs) honest answer. You're like, oh, you know, and like they ask you, like, what kind of law do you want to do? And you have literally no clue. Like, you don't have to know exactly what you want to do, but you need to be able to show you're actually interested in the firm and the types of work that they Mm -hmm. do and that you might stick around for a little bit. I did none of those things.
0: Yeah, the the answer of I want to I want to come for two years and 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 earn a paycheck yeah, is not. Which, that's what is, I wanted is to not, do,
1: and that was not the right answer. Right. I also now, hugged one of my. <laughs> <laughs> Which apparently you're also not supposed
0: to do. So um, yeah, but you don't. What you don't know, you don't know. And like, and and I want to make it clear, right? Like you and I are both agreeing. We're not telling people to lie in their interviews. Yeah, exactly. Right. But yeah. what we're telling people is, it, you are selling yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you think that you might only want to be there for two years, that's fine. But you also need yeah. to be willing to say, like, I never thought I was going to do big law, but here are the reasons I want to come. It has good training. I can work really hard you know, I've been successful. Like there are answers that allow you to answer honestly without highlighting the negatives about you or your connection.
1: Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And you never know, like I really did go into big law thinking. I was only going to do it for a year or two because my mentor thought that was a good idea. And I ended up staying for seven years. So you think think you're going to do one thing, but you just never know. So you should prepare yourself. Like maybe you will stay longer, you know? Yeah. Keeping
0: an open mind is so huge, especially in, the, yeah. in those moments because uh-huh. you don't know what you don't know. I mean, the example that I talk about with lots of guests on the podcast is like when someone's landing a plane, like they don't get on the loudspeaker and they say, this is my first plane landing, right? Like it might be their first plane landing. There has to be a first, but you don't tell people that. Like you don't yeah. know what you don't know. So you have to do some things to figure out what you what you don't know, get some experience, best case scenario, you find the thing you want to do for the rest of your life. Worst case scenario, you find something you definitely don't want it or second best case yeah. scenario, you find something you don't want to do. And worst case scenario, it's fine. And you have that experience.
1: Mm-hmm, exactly. When I like for part of my freelance work in the past, I've done like professional development counseling and stuff. And I always recommend that to people. And also... If you do go into big law or any firm, like treating even if you think you're not going to stay long, treating it like you might. (laughs) It's a
0: great mental model.
1: Since my mindset was I'm not staying, I didn't try to get work that I was actually interested in. I just took whatever came easy to me because, like, as in someone would just freely give me the work because I was like, I'm not staying Mm. anyways, and I ended up doing securities law and (laughs) and like tort litigation, mass tort litigation. Like I would never have chosen that. (laughs) I would have made different decisions, but I kind of got into that and then I ended up staying. Luckily, I worked with people that were great and I enjoyed the people that I worked with, but the type of law that I did, Hmm. I would not have chosen. And by the time I figured out that I was sticking around, I already kind of had expertise in these certain types of cases. So I was a little bit stuck. So yeah, keeping an open mind in the beginning is huge
0: yeah it makes a lot of sense although it's a good point you make which is one that I try to make for my to my students all the time is sometimes it's better to work for good people in an area of law that you're not that interested in than working for people you don't like or that are bad in an area that you think you
1: like. yeah, for sure when I was in college, I worked at a law firm as like a filing clerk and I know when I tell people I was going to go to law school, I noticed the people that worked for like the awful partners were like, oh my gosh, don't do it, don't go to law school. Hmm. And the people that worked for the nice ones were like, oh, that's awesome. Like, what do you want to do? Like, the people is like the hugest factor, hmm. I think.
0: Yeah, it's it's like picking classes in law school, too. Don't pick by the name of the class. Pick by the professor.
1: Oh, um, for because, sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, think, I think
0: people, that's one of those unspoken uh, curriculum things that, that people need to talk about. Before we leave law school and talk about some of your time at Gibson Dunn, you recently shared, I think it was on social media, or maybe it was with me that you felt you took that first like law school exam and were convinced that you had failed. And it turned oh, yeah. out that you hadn't. And I have a bunch of law students right now who are taking their first exams. And by the time this episode gets published, they may have some of their grades, they may not. Talk to me about that experience and sort of what you would recommend to people taking their first set of exams.
1: Yeah, um, it was my first contracts final, my one all fall contracts final. That was like the fall of 2006. So it's been a minute. I, I literally still have PTSD. The hypo involved Wolfgang Puck eateries at Dodger Stadium. And if I ever hear Wolfgang Puck or Dodgers, I still I, like feel, <laughs> I feel this like pit in my stomach, even though it ultimately turned out that I did fine. But I just, I totally thought I blew it. Like I studied hard. I had to like get certain grades to keep my scholarship. I literally like walked out of the final and cried. Yeah. Like I was convinced that I just bombed it. So when it later turned out that not only did I not bomb it, I had like the best answer in the class and the professor used it as an example to talk with the class about how they should do their answers. I was like, what in the world? So sometimes when you think, oh my gosh, I'm bombing this, it's really that you're actually really getting it. Like you're understanding what they were real. I think that's what you posted. Like you're getting what they're trying to get at. Like you're, Mm -hmm. you're. If you're thinking it's super hard, that's good because that means you're like spotting all the issues. If you think it's easy, you might have to. Yeah, go. I was
0: gonna say sometimes Wait. thinking it's easy is actually like a trap. Sometimes thinking it's hard is realizing that that it's hard and and yeah, there's no reason. To, if you're listening to this and you still haven't got your grades back, like there's no reason to spend your break crying about the exam that you failed because you didn't. You don't know what happened yet. I I mm-hmm. had that too. I yeah. remember my first semester. I like had these horrible dreams during winter break. And like, I'm with my family, we're celebrating the holidays and I'm having these dreams that like, I've been kicked out of law school and it didn't, it didn't happen. Um, uh, so that's yeah. why I wanted to hear that story. Well, look, so you go to, you go to Gibson Dunn. We talked, we talked a little bit about sort of practicing insecurities and, uh, mass tort litigation and sort of finding your way. Any other sort of memories, like what kept you there for for six and a half years after you thought you were going to leave after a year or two, like what kept you in that environment?
1: So initially, so i I ended up getting married to a guy that's in the military, my husband's military. And at first, I was like, "Oh, I don't want to be one of those people that jumps around to different law firms. So I just tried to stick it out because he was going to get like new orders to go somewhere else. and I was like, "Oh, I can't quit because then, I'll get this new job and I might only have it for a year and then I'm going to look like one of those people that bounces around, which sometimes, another thing I didn't know from not having mentors, sometimes that kind of movement is totally okay. But um, that was the initial Mm -hmm. reason. And then I was just, like, I really liked the people that I was working with. So, and I got into a good rhythm and it's like, they want to pay me really good money to do work that I Mm. enjoy with people that I enjoy. I mean, the subject matter wasn't my favorite, but like, I really love writing. I really love drafting briefs. I really enjoyed like preparing for evidentiary hearings and going to those. So that aspect of it, I was like, oh, I can Hmm. do this. I was like in a good rhythm and I liked it. So um, I thought. Yeah, I I love I love that idea
0: of like finding rhythm in a job. Like I've never heard that exact phrase, but I'm going to steal it because I kind of love it. Like (sighs) it's the idea of like finding that rhythm, finding that flow, waking up every day and being like. Yeah, this might be hard. Yeah, I might not like every minute of it, but I feel like I'm making progress. I'm moving forward. I'm doing good things. And it sounds like that was your experience.
1: Especially in big firm, but I think this is probably true mm-hmm. in all, especially litigation, but all firms, like there's kind of an ebb and flow of work. Like you have times that are yeah. busy and crazy and you have times that are slow. So you just learn to like know that when it's really busy, that this too shall pass, and know when it's slow, like, oh, this is the time to take advantage of doing whatever things you couldn't do when you were super Mm -hmm. busy, like taking that vacation or going to Costco in the middle of the day or whatever.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I love that. And you talked a little bit about, at the beginning of the podcast, about how you were coming in with not a lot of knowledge about sort of what this looked like. And I'm sure that was also true coming into big law. Like, is there one thing that you would tell to somebody who's just starting in a big law job that they might not know that that would be helpful to them?
1: Well, I think definitely trying to, um, ask around to more junior people and figure out who the good people are to work for. Yes. Cause the, the, another interesting thing is the personality of an attorney isn't necessarily equivalent with how they, what they are like to work for. Hmm. Like there was this partner that I thought was, um, so nice and so easy to talk to. And then I did some work for him and it was awful. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. So, but if i would have asked around like you people will tell you i mean you got to be um strategic with your questions and sure. who you're talking to but there are some and it's a personality thing too like sometimes i worked with some partners that people would be like oh that partner is like so hard to work for but i knew their personality and i knew what they wanted so then i was totally fine with working <laughs> for them because i understood
0: yeah. I mean, I think that's so right. And that was so my experience as well in, in my time at the law firm was A, finding the right people, but B, like knowing, building relationships with the people around you are just one step above you. Like mm-hmm. I think sometimes like the most valuable person you can befriend is the person who's like two or three years ahead of you oh, because yeah. they've just gone through what you're about to go through. And also the point you make that that not every not every personality clashes and not every personality matches like yeah for me one of the one of the things that i you know that i always liked at a law firm was actually working for people who stayed up really late because i'm a, i'm a morning person and so when i would work for those kind of people typically like they would be fine that they could send me something at two o'clock in the morning or midnight or whatever and they'd know that i wouldn't touch it until like six or seven but they would have it by time they woke up And, Mm -hmm. but I'm not a night person. So people who wanted to like have meetings and conference calls at eight o'clock and nine o'clock at night, like that was very hard for me. And like, I was not successful with those partners. So it's finding, finding your match. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you make kind of a pretty big pivot. Um, And as you said, you, you, you went out and started doing some freelance and, and now you've been a freelance attorney for, for a few years, like, yeah. Talk to me about what a freelance lawyer is, because candidly, I'm not sure I knew it existed until relatively recently. So for, for those people who sort of don't know what role freelance attorneys play in the ecosystem, talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So basically, freelance attorneys help with um, overflow work from other firms. So you don't take on any of your own clients directly. There, there are people who have their own small firm, and they do freelance work um, to kind of supplement their income. I currently only do freelance work. I only do work for other law firms. So it might be they have a brief they need someone to write or research they need done. I second chaired a trial as a freelancer. I've taken and defended depositions as a freelancer. So it's usually smaller boutique firms that... um, don't have enough extra work to hire another associate, but occasionally just get slammed, and then they can use freelancers to kind of fill that gap.
0: This episode is also brought to you by Legal Board. Let's be honest how many times have you needed to type a section symbol or a paragraph symbol, type the word id, or write out words like plaintiff and defendant? Well, the Legal Board makes that a breeze with 35 lawyer specific keys and functions that make legal typing so much easier. The Legal Board was invented by my friend and podcast guest from episode 38, Brian Potts. As a busy big law partner, Brian created the keyboard he always wanted, and now you can get one too. There are three different models there's a wired keyboard, a wireless keyboard, and the Legal Pad, which is a small keyboard expander for law students, traveling lawyers, and Mac users. Frankly, these are the computer keyboards I wish I had when I was a practicing litigator. And Legal Board is not only helping support how I lawyer, thanks for that, but they also have offered a discount code for our listeners. So just go to LegalKeyboards.com and type in LegalBoard10 at checkout to, to save 10% on your entire order. Thanks to LegalBoard for sponsoring the show. What is your relationship like with the both the attorney that you're working for, I guess, and with the client? Like, Talk to me a little bit about how that dance works.
1: For the most part I don't directly interact with any clients. It's just directly with the attorney cuz I'm just drafting stuff for them. Mm-hmm. So I mostly do like business litigation, like on the defense side and employment litigation on the defense side, sometimes plaintiff side. But yeah, I'm just interacting directly with the attorney that needs the work done most of the time.
0: And do the clients know you exist?
1: It depends on the client and the um whatever their agreement is with their attorney, like some of the clients do know I one firm that I work with a ton. I have my own email address with them. They copy me on emails. The clients know about me. Some agreements that people have with their clients say they might bring on contract workers. Hmm. Some companies require you to tell them who it is or if you're using a contractor. So it just depends.
0: And why did you decide to go freelance instead of solo? Like getting your own clients versus making I guess the lawyers almost become your clients to a degree, right?
1: Yeah. That's such a good question. So the reason why I went freelance, I was actually at that point when I was um seven years in at Gibson, I was kind of on about like I had no partnership prospects, but I was kind of on a like, I would be happy to just stay here and have you keep paying me the same amount yeah. of money and keep doing the same work. Like I didn't I didn't want to leave, but um My husband at the time had deployed, he was gone for like seven months. Hmm. And I had two kids under two at home. And I was like trying to make it work. And then finally, one day, I had had like a few really, really busy weeks. And I finally just gotten through like a busy period. And one of my kids, she was like almost two at the time, she was sitting down playing. And I was like, Oh, I don't have to rush off and do any work right now. I could sit down and play with her. And she was so excited. She was like, oh, mommy's playing with me. Hmm. And I was like, oh, like if I wasn't solo parenting, because jobs get busy and it's this is not like a mom guilt thing. It was more like I was her only parent Mm -hmm. at the time since my husband was gone. And I just felt bad that like in that season where he was deployable, having one parent completely gone and one parent just like super, super busy. That's hard. So that was like in March of that year. And I was like, okay, I need to like figure out a change. And I started talking to people like just floating the idea around of maybe um, leaving the firm and like trying to find some contract work. And I just found I just happened to like mention it to the right people and find some work I could do before Hmm. I put in my notice. So I didn't have to like leave with no idea of what was going on. Right. But I chose freelancing instead of um, starting my own firm, because, again, like the two little kids and the deploying husband. Yeah, But I was only planning on doing freelancing for a little bit, but then I ended up having more kids and then we had a pandemic. So I kept doing the freelancing thing. And here we are. It's just easier and less like responsibility and less stress for now, but I still plan to hit it and take on my own clients in the future, but it's been a great Hmm. intermediate thing.
0: Yeah. And is that something that like, that you can do? Can you do both freelance and have some of your own clients? Like, Is it an either or, or is it an and?
1: I know more people who have their own solo practice and then take on freelance work for supplemental income than people Mm. like me who only do freelance work. Got it. Because the downside of only doing freelance work is there's no guaranteed income. Like, If someone doesn't need help and they're not busy right then, then you just- don't have work to do there's right. no guarantee um so a lot of people I've never had an issue which is also really surprising um I've always made like been plenty busy but that can be like a deterrent for some people as well
0: yeah and I guess that that brings me to my other question which was going to be about like getting business right I mean like lawyers are always talking about like their book of business their clients networking. Like, how as a freelancer do you get business?
1: So multiple ways. When I first started out, like word of mouth is probably the best, like letting people know, which is also like when you're trying to get any job, right? Like letting people <laughs> right. know you're looking. So like my my initial freelance work that I got came through um, the dean of my law school who knew someone who was about to go to trial and needed help. That's how I second chaired a trial. Mm-hmm. And it, my internship I had as a 1L, someone through that that I talked to, like knew of some work. Huh. So, and then I also, in the beginning, in the early days, I would look on Craigslist and like other online forums for work. And Craigslist, finding work on Craigslist is kind of like online dating. Like you got to like wade through a lot of like crazy people and garbage, but you can, you can sometimes still find legitimate work.
0: Like there are lawyers on Craigslist being like, I need someone to write this brief. Like, does yeah. that really happen?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I haven't been on in a few years, so I don't know if it's still like that, but it was like that um, huh. wow. back when I was looking, which is very surprising. So, and then there's like a few freelance platforms like Law Clerk where they pay you like a flat rate. Montage Legal Network, I've done a lot of work through them. It's mostly, like me, former big law attorneys that now do freelance work. Hmm. Now I get all of my work on my own. Like it all comes through mm. like word of mouth, people that are like,
0: relationships. I have
1: like four, I have four firms that I work with a ton. And then every once in a while, someone will be like, Oh, I know someone else that needs some help. Are you available? But -hmm. I never have to look for work anymore. I used to, in the early years, have to go like searching. Now I have to say no.
0: (laughs) That's great. I mean, that's the right, like, like being in a position where professionally you can say no and have to say no is actually usually a pretty good sign that things are working. Okay. And in terms of the work you're doing, you mentioned brief writing, you mentioned depositions, like are, are what other kinds of tasks
1: are, are you doing? I would say like brief writing is like the bulk of it now, mm-hmm. but that's mainly because um, that's what I like to do, which is another perk of freelance work is that once you're like me busy enough that you can turn down work, I turn down the stuff that I hate, like discovery. <laughs> Right, um, and I just do the stuff that I like writing. Like I really enjoy brief writing, so I do mostly that. I'm like trying to think if I've been doing anything else
0: so and then when you give somebody a brief, like do you see yourself kind of like a ghostwriter for a novel? Like, like, what is that relationship because i I've never had like done that, and I think a lot of lawyers probably haven't. Like, what's maybe the pitch for, like, getting a freelancer to help you with your briefs. Like what is that relationship like?
1: So um yeah, it's basically ghostwriting. Um, and I, I'll get samples wow. from the person that they've written before. And I ghostwrite, like I try to write in their writing style, hmm. like their personality, wow. which it's really funny because this one guy that I do work for, he's very, very dramatic and writes very dramatic. And I would never, ever- write something like that that's not your that's not your name on it but it's kind of fun to get to write like that when my name is not (laughs) wow um because he's just like so over the top like constantly like accusing the other side of all kinds of craziness and i'm like i mean i actually have like tried to fizzle that out because i've noticed that it actually increases my stress level to be so confrontational even just in writing Hmm. but um yeah that is one perk getting someone else to do the work for you so it clears your plate. Like if it's something you hate, so many people want to, people are constantly asking me to do the motions to compel and discovery because they don't want to do it either. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do it.
0: I don't want, you don't want to do it either, right?
1: Yeah. Um, Another perk, if you're an attorney and you have overflow work, like um, in most jurisdictions, it's ethical to pay the freelancer one rate and then still charge your client a higher rate. So like Hmm. most of my clients, um, they pay me like a third of the rate that I'm billed out at. So they still like, they get to pass off the work and they don't have to do it and they make money off of it still.
0: Um, so it's like a win-win. I'm so surprised that the, that the bar, that the bar in many jurisdictions would be cool with that. That's fascinating.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm speaking for California. I'm not sure about, um, because most, I started in California, so mm-hmm. almost all my work is still California. Sure, sure. I'm also barred in Nebraska now, and I'm going to be getting barred in Virginia soon, because that's where I live now. hmm But yeah, so it's like a big perk, because you can basically make a profit off handing off your work. To- mm-hmm. I mean, it still has to be reasonable. You know, of course, but, um, of course.
0: No, just that the just that you can do that. I mean, it makes sense, right? Like you can have consultants, you can have other people help you, you can have experts. It's not that different. Uh, it's just in- interesting.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, even in big law, they bill you out at like eight hundred dollars an hour, and they definitely don't pay you that. <laughs> so. No, no, no.
0: Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's fascinating, and I guess you know you just said it implicitly but I'll make it explicit it's it clearly has allowed you to be geographically flexible yeah. in sort of where you're sitting to do your work and I imagine that's a big part of it as well
1: yeah it's huge um I didn't know when I left to do freelance work that we would move so much like my youngest kids are five I have five-year-old twins and we're currently in the fourth state that we've lived in since they were born <laughs> Wow so um yeah we have lived in we went from California to Alabama to Nebraska now Virginia Wow. And I've done the same work that has been amazing for me that I've been able to keep working because a lot of military spouses can't work when they move that much. Yeah, Um, It's just like, why get a job when you're going to be somewhere for only a year or only two years and people won't hire you because they're like, oh, we know you're just going to leave. So I just take it with me, which is great.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, one of the other questions that I always like to ask, particularly to parents with young and youngish kids, mostly selfishly. Because I'm in that cohort as well, is sort of how you balance, and I hate the phrase work-life balance, but like how you deal with both being a mom to your kids and being a lawyer, how you sort of make that work, and and specifically working from home like you do from anywhere, it's even sometimes harder because there's no like hard demarcation of like mom's at the office now, mom's at home now, like you're doing all of that together, like. Have you found anything that's helped you sort of try to make that lifestyle better, stronger, more livable? Any of those things?
1: Well, luckily now my kids understand more. Like they understand like, oh, mommy's working. Mommy has to Hmm. work. Well, they don't 100% understand it because they often are like, why don't you have to go to school or why don't you have to go to a job? Like my husband (laughs) like leaves and goes to a job, you know, I'm like, I do something valuable too. But when they were littler, I found that I, I had to put them like in daycare or preschool still because yeah. if they're home, they 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 come in all the time. Like when yeah. I'm writing a brief, I've got to like really zone in and like do mm-hmm. it. And if I get interrupted, every time I get interrupted, I'm like...
0: The startup like, cost you is start huge. All
1: over. Yeah. So I'll like feel like I'm working all day and I get so little billable time because I have to restart over and over.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So... It's rare that I have to work when they're actually home and they're all in school now, which makes it easier. I just try to fit all of my work into the hours when they're at school. And then if I do have to work while they're home, I just try using bribes, incentivizing them like, hey, if you let me finish this thing, I'll take you to the park or I'll get you a toy. Oh, just got to do what you got to yeah, do. Yeah, But
0: that's, I, you know, you make it sound so negative. Like I think setting expectations is not a negative thing. And obviously you don't want to like be buying kids toys every day to get your work done. But at the same time, like we, you know, incentivizing, th- they do the same thing to us. I mean, I can't tell you how many times my kids have said, well, I'll stop this if you do yeah. wh- X. And it's like, okay, like everybody's a negotiator yeah. in my house, two lawyer, parent, family, no surprise there. I also think it's it's really important to be honest that being a law parent isn't always isn't often easy. And it requires you to find those hours that they're not around, but it allows you to be present when they are around, which which is a real benefit. Mm-hmm.
1: Being a freelancer is definitely more flexible as a parent because I can choose when I work and when I don't work, if something comes up, like you know, when um when COVID started and everything shut down, I had actually planned on starting to take on my own clients. And then COVID hmm. happened. And I was like, oh my gosh, like it never, ever crossed my mind that all of society basically could just shut down and my four kids would be yeah. home with me 24 seven. So then I was like, yeah. okay, maybe not, <laughs> maybe not yet. And I had a super high risk pregnancy with my twins. When I was a freelancer and that worked out great, too, because I could schedule all of my work around all of the millions of doctor's appointments I had to have. So it does make it way more flexible. But doing freelance in a litigation context, there's still times where I have like something urgent and I just have to get it done. And yeah. my kids are home or there's like a day that school is canceled and I didn't know Sure. but they understand like that I love the work that I do they know that I'm a lawyer they know that I write for people sometimes they're like why don't they just write their own stuff <laughs> they,
0: <laughs> you're like pay well, that, me, and
1: this is how we do I was fun gonna things. say that
0: wouldn't that wouldn't be good business for yeah. you Yeah.
1: <laughs> like if they did their own writing then I would not make money and then I couldn't like take you to that fun trampoline park you know mm-hmm. so yeah
0: no that makes a ton of sense well look we're getting close to the end of our time so I want to ask two more questions so the, the first question is is really about freelance Is if someone hears about this and they're thinking, I've never even heard of freelance work better yet, like how to get it, how to start it, how to do it. Like, what's your recommendation to a person who's hearing this and saying, I'm choosing maybe between like not being a lawyer at all and the opportunity to have to kind of stay in a place that I'm not happy is freelance like an opportunity for those people. Like, what's your recommendation to someone hearing that?
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely an opportunity. And if you like Google it, um, I mean, I'm happy to answer people's questions too. People people message me a lot, like, how did yeah. you get into it? Um, and ask me lots of questions. Well,
0: that's why now you can just send them to the podcast. It'll be great.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna like say yeah, that like, right. <laughs> go listen here. Yeah, the so the only the only downside that I know of as a freelancer is just the whole no guaranteed income mm-hmm. situation. But if you're A very like go getter person who can like, and the key is first, it's hard to get work at first, but then once you get work and you do good work, then people keep Mm -hmm. coming back to you. So then it's easy. So if you can handle, if you can stomach the financial risk in the beginning of like, there's no guaranteed paycheck here. Sure. Eventually it's easy to get to a place like me where you're getting enough work and making enough money to just do it. It's been like seven or eight years now. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So it
0: sounds like put yourself out there, try to build some connections.
1: Yeah, and the worst case, be, it's like when people quit to be an influencer and then it doesn't happen. Like, if you quit, it doesn't happen. You can go back. Yeah. The thing is, like, I've been doing substantive legal work the whole time. So if I wanted to go back to a law firm, it wouldn't be like, oh, here's this big gap in my resume, hmm. or oh, I went to do like doc review, like doc review. Contract doc review is like twenty five to thirty five dollars an hour, which is granted better than nothing, but is very low for. Mm-hmm leaving like many firm jobs to then go work for that rate. Right. And it does kind of pigeonhole you. Like often, if all you've done is doctored you, that's like, it's hard to get another other work. Hmm. So um, substantive freelance work, on the other hand, keeps your skills fresh.
0: (laughs) I love that. I love that. That's really, I hadn't really thought about it, but I think it's such an important point that it keeps you, it keeps you going and the downside risk is probably a little bit less. Than it sounds. Yeah. In the sense that like you still have a law degree, you still have skills, you still have experiences, and it you know, it might be better than than nothing. So that's really interesting. And I'm really glad that uh you agreed to to come share it. So I'll add the podcast the same way I end all of them, which is for something, some piece of advice or something you wish you knew and you were just getting started as a law student or a lawyer, uh, that you know now. What's what's one thing you want to leave sort of the the people who are listening, most of whom are are sort of beginning, beginning their legal journey?
1: Maybe to like actually Google and get permission.
0: Do your research. I love <laughs> it. As, research, as a legal research and writing professor, I love that answer. Yeah. Do your research.
1: i not like, do I want to be like a white collar lawyer? Like you don't need to know like what kind of lawyer you want to be, but just like all of those things we talked about, like knowing what kind of law school you can get into <laughs> and what you need to do to get in there, knowing what kind of jobs you can get knowing how to find the good people to work for at your firm when you go there, all of those things.
0: Yeah. Yeah, do your research. I think that's so important. I think people don't do their research. And it used to be that the excuse was it was hard to do and it wasn't out there. Now, in some ways, it's the opposite extreme, right? Like there's too much information.
1: It's easy. And that it, there's like, it's so easy to find, mm-hmm. but then there's so much like, when do you stop? Right. right. I mean, it's the
0: same thing. Yeah. I mean, that is the huge challenge. Um, That is a huge challenge. But I guess we'll leave the listeners today with the advice of do your research. Well, look, Michelle, it's been great hearing about your path and your experience and your work as a freelancer. I wish you the best of luck in all of your future endeavors, whether that stay freelance or maybe we'll get be able to get you back on uh, in a couple of years and see see where your career has gone. But uh, it's it's been, been really nice talking to you.
1: Sounds great. Thanks, Jonah.
0: Again, I'm Jonah Perlin, and this is the How I Lawyer podcast. Thanks to podcast sponsor Law Pods for their expert editing. If you're a lawyer considering starting your own podcast, definitely check them out at lawpods.com. And thanks to you for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, I hope you'll consider sharing it with friends and colleagues or on social media. And of course, if you haven't already done so, please sign up for the email list at howilawyer.com or subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. As always, if you have comments, suggestions, or ideas for the show, please reach out to me at howilawyer at gmail.com or at Jonah Perlin on Twitter. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.